Marty Ranson was the dork of Dodsville High. His classmates laughed at him. They tormented him. And then they went too far. Now, five years later, Marty's throwing a little party. A class reunion. They say he still roams the nuthouse, ever hopeful of that chance to escape, so he can take his evil revenge out on us all. listening to I Saw in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic corner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, Ryan Silverstein. The Red Herring. (laughs) And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So today, we're excited to welcome a guest to the show, writer and Movie John contributor, Nick Nelson. Hey, Nick. Hey, Kix. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I realized, like, you've been writing for Movie John for a while. But I, know. I have no idea how you found it. Honestly, when you sort of asked me, I can't really remember. It must have been I just stumbled across a post somehow. I think if I remember, I vaguely remember it was either you or Ben had put out uh, that you were looking for contributors. And I had been at the time poking around on a couple different sites and submitting some stuff uh, to some people. And I just, I, I wasn't honestly, I just wasn't finding a good fit. I didn't really, the people that I was communicating with that were interested in my contributions, just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just didn't really feel right. But Movie John was the first one that w- seemed kind of excited, like, yeah, get, you know, give us your stuff. And everyone there was just really great and supportive, and I, I've had so much fun. But yeah, I, I was actually thinking about it the other day. I think it's been like four years that I've been a consistent contributor, something like that. I think that seems about right because you definitely came on like initially when we first started, and I can't believe like we are going on five years. I know it's it's great. It's amazing. I I love it so much. And actually, Ryan, too, he's local here in Philadelphia, but he also writes for us and he runs his own movie website, Cinema 76. Awesome. Anything else you wanted to share with us, Nick? Like, I feel, well, this is the first time I'm actually talking to you. So I don't know what you do besides writing for Movie John. Sure. Um, I I live in Lawrence, Kansas. I work for uh, the Department of Education here in Topeka. I work with career and technical education. That's my day job. And then just on the side, you know, since I was two or three years old, I've just been crazy about movies and have been a writer. And so film criticism has been something I've always been uh, slightly obsessed with. And so I, I, I enjoy, immensely enjoy contributing to something like Movie John. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely found the right spot because we're all big movie nerds. Yeah. (laughs) So before we get to the actual question for the show, we like to share what we've been watching lately and we've deemed this segment Flick Picks. So since you are our guest, Nick, um, why don't you kick things off and share something you've watched recently? Sure. Um, So a couple things. Uh, I've been obsessed with Doctor Sleep. So the director's cut was released on the mo- I think the most recent 4K or Blu-ray that came out, and I'm just I've just been slightly obsessed with that movie. 
watching it and The Shining, you know, as sort of a double feature. I just love everything about that movie. It's so great. And then another one that was kind of surprising uh, was Jumanji The Next Level, the sequel. And I was honestly surprised by how much I loved that movie. Uh, I was afraid going into it that it was just going to be, you know, it's going to be the same movie. They're kind of going to do the same thing. But they they made one of the best sequels I've ever seen. They did exactly everything that you're supposed to do. They changed just enough around. And what I liked, I think, most about it was just thinking about how much fun, uh, for example, The Rock must have had of in the sequel suddenly kind of getting to play Danny DeVito. I just thought it was great. It was amazing. Well, it's funny. I only recently watched the first Jumanji, like in enough time, because then we went to see the sequel, my husband and I, and Ben had been singing the praises about Jumanji. Like he loved it. So then he ended up buying it and we watched it and it's really entertaining. Yeah. Uh, So I've seen the original Jumanji with Robin Williams and I've always been a big fan of that movie. And I've seen the first newer Jumanji, the subtitle of which I don't remember offhand, but I've not seen the sequel to that one. So I haven't seen the most recent one, but it's just from, you know, being a busy holiday season. Sure. Yeah. It came out in December. So yeah, it's like you're always with an onslaught of films at that point. Yeah. But I definitely plan on catching it because I did enjoy um the first one with this cast uh a lot yeah i think my favorite part of the sequel though i loved aquafina as danny devito she was really (laughs) funny (laughs) also just to go back to your doctor sleep i also enjoyed that film as well and i know ryan was a huge fan yeah I'm, i'm bummed that i missed it in the theater and the version i rented only had the theatrical cut so i have not yet seen the director's cut but i'm I'm planning on picking that up sooner rather than later. And I just, I actually just thought that was just a tremendous movie with great performances. And like, I thought the way that it, you know, revisited some of the, some of the elements from The Shining was fun, but like it didn't, it still felt like this movie had its own story. Absolutely. Which I really appreciated. So. Yeah. I think it would be really cool. Like Nick suggested to watch The Shining and that like back to back. Unfortunately, before I went to see Dr. Sleep, I didn't get a chance to do that. But then watching it, I was like, oh, I wish I would have watched The Shining right before. Yeah, I, I ha- before I watched the director's cut, I'm definitely going to rewatch uh, The Shining because I picked up the 4K. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've not watched it yet. I did, however, revisit the segment from Ready Player One where they revisit The Shining after I watched it. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not seen that film. Ready Player One. It's fine for what it is. I think. I think calling it. I mean, it's not good enough to call good, but like, I feel like the the hate toward it was a little bit outsized for what it is. So, Ryan, what about you? What have you watched? So, the Criterion Channel recently had a uh, collection of Danny Kaye movies up. Oh, nice! And so, after seeing the Court Jester at um a pizza film club outing and just having seen some other danny k movies that i liked i watched the original secret life of walter mitty that he did in 1947 which is so much better than the remake that ben stiller did i have not seen the remake as of yet but this i mean now i'm I'm just curious about it i thought this was 
kind of a mixed bag. I mean, Danny Kaye gives a great performance. The fantasy sequences are really fun. And the last act of the movie where he uses his knowledge as like a pulp book editor to like get himself out of a bunch of scrapes is really fun. But the movie on a whole, I feel like it's one of those where like it's too long for the story that it's telling. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've seen that one. I just really despise the Ben Stiller one so much <laughs> that I was like, no, this is a work of art. Because I don't know if you you both maybe have seen The House with the Clock in Its Walls. I, I have. think is the title. Okay. Not yet. I've been wanting to because I'm a big Eli Roth fan. Okay. Well, this... I don't want to spoil anything, but there is a scene, and Ryan will know what I'm talking about with Jack Black. Yep. I already know what you're talking about. (laughs) There is a similar scene, but with Ben Stiller. And now. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That this the scene that you're talking about from House of the Clock and Its Walls is one of the most uh actually unbelievable as it was happening. I was like, I cannot believe. Uh, that this is in this movie and I cannot believe that they paid digital artists untold amounts of money and hours to spend working on this because it's ridiculous and insane and it will haunt me forever. Yes, okay, I'm definitely scarring. gonna have to check it out. Though. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> and and you'll know exactly what we're talking about when you get there. Okay. So for my pick this week, it is one that I actually literally watched yesterday. And it is from the TCM app, which I know, Ryan, you've been utilizing frequently as we've all been stuck in the house. Yeah. So the movie I watched is from 1964, and it's called Seance on a Wet Afternoon. It tells the story of a married couple that kidnap a child from a wealthy family. And the wife is a self-proclaimed medium. So she's like orchestrated this whole kidnapping scheme as a way to pretend to solve the crime and achieve fame. So there was a lot that I liked about this. The performances were great, but probably the biggest surprise for me was that the husband is played by Richard Attenborough, who I was like, he looks so familiar to me. And then it finally hit me, oh, it's Hammond from Jurassic Park. Like, because I didn't know his actual name. So when I looked it up on IMDb, I felt so silly because I was like, oh, right. But he is wearing like a prosthetic nose, apparently, in this seance movie. So that may be why I didn't recognize him at first. And he's a lot younger. Yeah, that, that always trips me up. When you're like, I know this face, but why? Yeah, and so I highly recommend, though, checking out this movie if you can. I do notice, though, on TCM, like, the movies go off there pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, same kind of, it seems like with the Criterion channel. They, but I've noticed they also kind of circle back quite frequently. Think they'll disappear for a while, but usually they'll come back um, fairly quickly, too. Yeah, I've noticed that as well on there, but like the TCM one, they're only on there like a couple days. Yeah, some of them are on longer. Um, like there was a movie I watched that I think is on there for the rest of April. So it, it varies a lot movie by movie because I like watching TCM, but I can't always watch exactly when something is on, especially if it starts at like 4 a.m. East Coast time. Uh, it's really good because I don't have a DVR. So it kind of replaces that function that most of the stuff shows up on there, at least for three or four days. 
Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. And I'm glad, Nick, you mentioned Criterion because I'm guessing this um, seance movie will be on there because when I watched it, the Criterion logo actually flashed up. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll I'll have to check it out because it it was really intriguing. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I, I had never heard of it, but then yesterday I was just flipping through and for some, as TCM does, they will have like very weird categories on there and they had like a bunch of psychic films (laughs) and I was like, this is right up my alley. Yeah. And it looks like it is actually streaming on the Criterion channel. So I'll I'll have to check it out as well. Yeah. I'll probably do that uh, after, right after the podcast, because I really want to know how that ends. Yeah. And then you'll go check out the weird Jack Black. Moment. I will do, yeah. <laughs> Empty so th- stars. So th- yeah, thank you both for <laughs> things uh, things that will haunt me. Yes. So I guess we can get on to the question, which actually, Nick, you did submit to us. I did. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear if this is an actual question that you're seeking advice for, but here it goes. Dear, I saw in a movie... What movie should I watch if I'm seeking revenge? So, Nick, are you actually seeking revenge? Uh, not actively. Probably at the time. <laughs> at the time that I sent the question, uh, more than likely some internet troll was pissing me off. And, you know, every once in a while you just have that. If I, if, if I can find out who this person really is, I'll pour sugar in their gas tank or something. <laughs> So again, being that you're the guest, I'm very interested to hear what you've picked. Sure. So the movie that immediately came to mind was uh, Slaughter High from 1986. And um, this is a movie that recently got like a special edition Blu-ray from Vestron video. And I'm really enjoying a lot of uh, their releases. So another release that they put out was Chopping Mall, uh, aka Killbots, which is another one of my favorite movies stacy keach in a silver mullet with uh silver contact lenses it's really an amazing movie uh but it's i I have sort of a theory around slaughter high in that you know it's it's right in there it's a slasher film but it's 1986 and so this i think really is the peak of the genre. So there's a, a really great documentary out there called uh, Going to Pieces, The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film that kind of tracks this whole thing. And I started thinking about it. And I think, you know, that whole slasher craze in the United States, starting in the late 70s and going into the early 90s, of course, Halloween is what generally gets the most credit as far as starting that whole craze. But I really think that uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie deserves at least as much credit as Halloween for being sort of the inspiration for that craze. And specifically because that bullying scene and then revenge sort of becoming the motivation of the masked killer really became something that became pretty common, a pretty common trope throughout the slasher film genre. So pointing to, for example, prom night, it sort of starts with this bullying incident. And then uh, that incident morphs into uh, the mass killer seeking revenge. And the same sort of thing is, is happening in slaughter high. So even when uh, 
if you've had a chance to see the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, sort of a retrospective documentary for the whole Friday the 13th franchise. I actually, yes, yeah. I watched that last year, I think. Ben and I watched it, but we watched it over like several days. Yeah, it's it's like 12 hours it's long. It's super because, long. It's, it's great if you want to listen to Corey Feldman say Paramount weird for like nine hours straight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also... I mean, Ryan, I don't know, like, are you into the Jason movies? So I have only seen, uh, I believe, three Jason movies so far, which are actually, um, I've seen the second one. I've seen Jason Takes Manhattan and Jason X. I picked up the Blu-ray set of the first six or whatever it is. Uh, I guess the first eight, I think, are on there. Um, So I'll, I'll be working my way through them at some point in the near future, but... Yeah, as, as someone who didn't grow up a horror fan, it's it's fun to go back and sort of rediscover stuff like this. Yeah, let me let me know if you ever want company with that. I every Friday the thirteenth since I was a kid, I take the day off work, I watch the movies end to end. It's I, I've been a huge fan of the genre and of horror movies since I was a kid. So yeah, I I actually so my birthday is October thirteenth and. Nice. Yes. And Friday the 13th, which was a couple years ago in October, I had a birthday party where we watched eight of them. Nice. Back to back. And it was so awesome. But to go back to that documentary, Ryan, you know, being that we're stuck in the house, I highly (laughs) recommend checking it out. Because it just, it's so interesting to learn, like, just how wild the business of mm-hmm. movies these is. are these are basically like mob funded movies <laughs> yes uh, like it's awesome yeah um it's and it's also from the same company that did the never sleep again the retrospective documentary for the nightmare on elm street series which i i think is better than the crystal lake memories documentary just personally but it's it's amazing it's really really great too but uh, just circling back, so in, in that documentary, Sean Cunningham, when they're interviewing him, he um, willingly you know, admits, we wanted to make a movie like Friday the 13th, of course. We wanted to rip off Halloween, and we wanted to have a jump scare ending like Carrie had. So that's a bit why I say I think Carrie deserves just as much credit. So when you get all the way to Slaughter High, so again, this is 1986. And who knows how many slasher films have existed from Halloween in 76 to now Slaughter High in 86. And it's just this weird, low-budget, sort of a hodgepodge homage to so many different things. Like, as you watch it, and it's a quick watch, it's like 87 minutes is the running time. You see nods to even, like, Alien in The Shining. And I think, so, at the beginning... You, you get that carry scene. So there's a shower bullying scene kind of in that vein of Carrie and everything in the movie though, is just turned up to 11. So that bullying scene in the shower is, I don't know if Rosalie, if you've kind of felt that way too, I just watching it, you're just like, they, they just wanted to take this to the most extreme level that they could. Well, and to your point about everything being turned up, like I felt that's how all the characters were right. like, extreme jocks and like extreme nerd like the nerd is literally into like science experiments like there's a scene where he is conducting lab experiments yeah it's like okay we get it he is a nerd right he has glasses (laughs) but yes i agree with you it's like definitely turned up to 11 and 
So about a half hour into it, and it had been a little bit since I had watched it, but here comes that Harry Manfredini score from Friday the 13th. And I had to stop and run to IMDb because I thought they had ripped, I was like, they ripped him off. There's no way that <laughs> Harry Manfredini actually did this music. And he did. And I was like, you know, wow, that, that must have been the easiest paycheck for Harry Manfredini because it's like he just lifted a couple Friday the 13th scores, mashed them together and just threw it into Slaughter High. Like it doesn't really match what's going on in the movie at all, but it's it's so distinct and recognizable and almost Hitchcockian that it, it just seems so out of place. It makes everything, you know, sort of even more ridiculous and funny. And it, you know, of course, it's a slasher film. So the plot itself, everything about it is pretty ridiculous. It's, uh, you know, they horribly bully this character. You know, he gets in a horrible, because of their bullying, essentially, he gets in the horrible lab accident. You know, the bubbling beakers all explode and burn him horrifically. So fast forward 10 years, the high school is just sitting abandoned, hasn't been torn down. Well, we got to break into it and party. Because that's what what you do. There's no other options apparently. Uh, and this is <laughs> this is a high school that has full bathrooms with bathtubs, full bedrooms with furniture. Yeah, uh, that was very bizarre. <laughs> like that was, I didn't understand what kind of high school this was. Right. I it's it, it's just completely completely ridiculous. Uh, so also yeah. even though it's abandoned, like. Everything is still working. Right. The light it has a caretaker. So the janitor's yes. no longer the janitor. He's the caretaker of this. They don't explain why it's being. No. No. Nothing. Just it's just there. So I it just has a special place in my heart because I, I really do. Because, you know, from that point, from like 1986 and then as you kind of get down into the early 90s is when the slasher film, you know, really started to, to die. That's where you started getting the you know the canonical endings of a lot of the so like you know it was freddy's dead the final nightmare and jason goes to hell like all of these franchises were sort of closing the door and you know we're going to move away from from the genre so i i see slaughter high as sort of that peak of everything before the descent inevitably started to set in now that you bring up about you know we don't really know why the caretakers there it's also because the whole plot of the story then is this while these kids are partying in their old school, the nerd is now taking revenge right. on them. Yeah. But like, why was he even there? Like, I, it's almost like he was just living in there. Right. Exactly. It, it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, the, the mask is a sort of. It's uh, like a joker. Yeah. Jester hat with bells and it. Yeah, nothing, absolutely nothing about it makes sense, uh, but that's why I, I love it so much. That also made me laugh that they were, he was wearing a Joker mask, being that <laughs> after my uh, interactions with the Joker movie, many of my friends, including Ryan, did not care for the Joker. Uh -huh. I just found the Joker to be utterly ridiculous, so it was funny to me. I wish it had been more funny. I, I would have. I would have taken funny. Yeah, Ben is still mad at me for making him watch. I don't blame him. <laughs> Literally, after, like, before the movie even ended, he opened a bottle of liquor, 
and was like, this movie is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I was lukewarm on it. I, I I sort of got dragged to it. My wife, Amy, uh, sort of dragged me to it, and she wanted to see it really bad. And I don't know, the, the whole time there was something about – it's sort of like uh, – so when I was growing up, my family ran a restaurant. And we were, lived in a small town. And every once in a while, you'd see people who, for whatever reason, you know, they look at your restaurant and like, oh, you make it look easy. I'm going to open my own restaurant. And then they find right. out it's actually work and have to close down. That's sort of how I felt watching The Joker. It was just a group of people that really like thought opening a restaurant was going to be easy. And... It, nothing works nothing really worked out like there's just sort of a, a heart missing to it that's where i'm horrible because i think that's funny <laughs> <laughs> it is it's i like, mean because yeah. like after yeah. i watched it i'm like oh they they really tried yeah, they really tried look at them they tried to make something meaningful right that is also why i thought it was so funny that like the joker mask was in slaughter high because i'm like it's just a world Filled with jokers. Yeah. I, I would have much rather seen Marty instead of Joaquin Phoenix, I think, in, in, in Joker. Oh my God, yeah. Would have made it so much better. Yeah, Ryan. So the nerd's name is Marty. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, of course, like I just kept thinking of Back to the Future. Right. Oh, yeah. So I, I, that made me think of the, um, uh, the movie Marty. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Which is a sweet movie. Yes. About a very nice, a very nice man. But there are some. I will say in Slaughter High, there are some really good deaths. Yeah. For how that, low budget? Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, when I was saying it, like, of course, you know, and this comes out in that documentary, "The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Movie," that there was such a saturation of these films during this time that really the only way you could stand out was how inventive do you kill these quote unquote teenagers. Now the, the characters in Slaughter High, another reason why they're so funny, because they're very obviously all of them like 35. Yes. <laughs> they don't even remotely try to cast, you know, anywhere even around 20. You know, it's they're they're in their mid forties, I swear, all of them. But yeah, so they they definitely, you know, this being nineteen eighty six, they're like, okay, we again we have to turn everything up to eleven. So yeah, a lot of the deaths are pretty inventive and funny. Cool. So I guess, should we move on to Ryan's pick? Sure. Yeah, so I, I mean, I picked basically the first film that jumped out at me when I thought about Revenge, which is, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill films, which are all about, you know, the bride is played by Uma Thurman seeking revenge against Bill for attempting to murder her and, and later on stealing uh, her child. So you know, I was thinking about specifically like with this question, I was thinking about like tips for revenge, like how, like not how to go about like what, what things to do, but ways to make yourself prepared for revenge and to make the revenge as satisfying as possible. Oh, that's a good point. So the, the first Kill Bill film opens with uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, attributing it as an old Klingon, pro- Klingon proverb, which is itself a reference to the uh, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. But I finally took the time to look up what that quote actually means, um, which I never really thought about before for some reason. But cold meaning like it's 
a plate of food that has cooled off and it's like no longer hot and fiery and passionate that it is like dispassionate long lasting the person's been waiting a long time to actually get their revenge wow i didn't know that yeah thank you for sharing that so the the nice thing about having to uh, the nice thing about taking your time with revenge is that you're able to do the work and gather the right tools you know, so in the bride's case, it's traveling to Japan uh, to make sure that she can get the proper sword to take down all of her enemies. You know, she has the time to do some travel, um, seek out Bill's, uh, like, I guess her other former co-workers, basically, who took part in <laughs> I like uh, trying to kill like her. Co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, like, she has the right tools for the job. She's able to take some time training. And then, you know, because she's going through all of them, like Bill knows that she's coming. So it's that added thing of like time has passed. And also he's getting the message. And, you know, he she's essentially trying to strike fear into him that she is this inevitable thing uh, coming to coming to kill Bill. So, um, you know, so so that's basically why I thought about these movies. I assume that both of you guys have seen them. Yeah. 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 And then the other thing about it is there's a, a scene in the second uh, movie where Bud says to Elle, like he basically talks about like how retirement is the number one killer of the elderly. Mm-hmm. And so he asks her if she's going to feel more relief or regret when all this is over. And, you know, she kind of replies like, well, both. And he's like, well, obviously, but which one more? Like, that's the point of the question. (laughs) Uh, It's not that you're only going to feel one of them. But it's a moment that's like always stuck out to me because it is revenge really is a combination of the two. You're like, there's relief that you finally got, you know, your sense of justice. And then there may be regret in terms of regret that you spent a long time preparing for that justice and went to you know maybe ridiculous lengths to get there or regret that you turned hurt against yourself into hurt against another person there's a lot of interesting angles to revenge and i think that you know for a movie that has a lot of you know samurai sword fights and extreme over-the-top violence i think there's actually a lot of heart in kill bill which is what makes it uh one of my favorite films from tarantino yeah and michael madsen in that scene is yeah perfect to deliver that that sort of conversation it was mm-hmm. yeah. well it's funny ryan because the film i'm going to talk about has somewhat of a similar messaging of yeah like revenge is cool but then you kind of have to deal with the aftermath of it and the feelings that come with that and then to your point you were preparing your whole life for this and now it's done mm-hmm uh, so do you want to do you want to transition into what movie you picked, Rosalie? Oh, sure. I'll, so the movie I picked, I don't know if either of you have seen this, but to help the listener out, I selected the 2001 movie Max Keeble's Big Move. <laughs> so this movie, I have not watched it, I think, since it came out. And surprisingly, Ben and I have this DVD. I think it was mine. <laughs> I will take I will take ownership of it. I think it was mine because when we merged our DVD collection together, like I don't really know whose is whose at right. this point. Mm-hmm. But I I think this one came with me. Um, but it is a kids movie, and it was like I said from like twenty years ago. 
I definitely remember seeing it in the theater. And all I can say is, my God, it is a time capsule. This soundtrack is filled with so much pop punk. Please and note Yellow Card is on it. Yes. And I, <laughs> some of the bands, I don't know, though. Like, I forget who they are. But probably back then, I knew who all the bands were. Some 41. Maybe. And I, you know, I'm exposing myself here, but I was totally into pop punk during yeah, this time. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah, as we all were yeah. to some degree or another. One of my favorite bands was Blink-182. Mm-hmm. And I actually entered an essay contest and won tickets to their tour. Wow. One year. Yes. And Tell me, they didn't... Go ahead. What was the, the... Do you remember what the essay essentially was or was about? I honestly think it was something about like why they are meaningful to me. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and I wrote all about how they like exposed me to the punk scene mm. because like at the point it was weird like when I entered it. I think it was like they did this dollar bill tour where people could pay literally a dollar to see them. Mm. And it was something MTV did. And my friend and I like went and we waited for tickets. And of course they sold out in like minutes. And so we didn't get them. And I was really bummed because we waited in line for the box office to open for like hours. And I was bummed. I went home and I found out about this contest and I was like, I'm entering it. And I ended up winning and it, it was really crazy. And I went by myself, actually, now that I remember, because my friend at the time was like, you know, I really don't want to go. Like, because by that point, we were both kind of done with Blink-182. Right. So that was the last time I, I actually saw them. But anyways, back to the movie, back to the movie. So can you, Max Keebles, can you remind me the the main actor? Because I'm trying to picture the kid's yes. face. And I, and I know he was in other stuff, too, I think. Yeah, so his name is Alex Linz, and you probably most would remember him from, he was in Home Alone 3. Okay, yes. Okay, thank you. Yep. Yes, he kind of had this, like, you know, he was the, I guess, kid actor at that time. Right. He appeared in Red Dragon, but I think that was briefly. It's been a long time since I watched Red Dragon, but when I pulled up his IMDb, apparently he was the young Francis Dollarhide. Okay. Which I was like, okay, I don't remember that. Yeah. But he was also in One Fine Day. I don't know if either of you have seen that. The um, Michelle Pfeiffer, George Clooney rom-com uh, type yeah, movie. Yeah. I vaguely remember yeah. that from, yeah. Yeah, so he was definitely, like, in stuff. Like, even just looking at his IMDb, though, he seems to have fallen off after 2007. Hmm. So I'm guessing maybe he's done with acting. Right. <laughs> but back when Max Keeble came out, he was definitely, I would think, at his high point. Mm -hmm. Like, he was showing up in a lot of different stuff. This movie also has Larry Miller, which is the dad from 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. And also Jamie Kennedy, Great. which he plays the evil ice cream man. <laughs> but the premise of the film is that this kid, Max, is told that he will be moving at the end of the week after his dad accepts a promotion at his job. 
And this also just happens to coincide with the first week of junior high in which Max was hoping he was going to reinvent himself as like this really cool kid. And instead, he ends up having like the first day from hell. He And then he finds out on that first day as well that he's moving which obviously is upsetting to the kid because, hey, like all his friends are there. Now he's going to have to start over until he realizes, now wait, I'm moving. So that means all these bullies I can take revenge on and then I'm just going to leave town. Solid plan. Yep. I, I, I applaud it. So one thing in watching it that I completely forgot was like he literally does draw up like plans for all the revenge and he makes like binders for his friends because he gets like two of his friends one of the kids that's his best friend also wears a robe like all the time all the time okay yes and i didn't remember that like at all but it was funny because i just rewatched the big lebowski mm-hmm. oh robe connections Another movie with a rope. But anyway, he makes up all of these plans. He puts them in binders, gives them to his friends, and then they start taking out revenge. And, you know, similar to what Ryan was saying, one big message, though, from this film is that I think initially, like when they're planning the revenge and actually doing the revenge, they're like, this is great. This is awesome. But then like after it was all over, you could see the kids did kind of have some regret Mm -hmm. because they actually did hurt some of the people. Well, spoiler, but Max ends up not moving. So then he kind of has to face, yeah, face Mm -hmm. all of the bad things that he did to people. That was kind of an interesting take. Not that like I've I don't, I was trying to remember if I've ever really taken revenge on someone. And I don't really feel that I, I have. I feel like, I feel like I have, I'm a big fan of the petty revenge. <laughs> um, just the slow, like, you know, like if somebody at work is, is like ticking me off and there's like a, you know, a cake being given out, like I'll make sure that they get a really small slice, Oh my God. <laughs> you know, or a really big slice, depending on <laughs> what their preference of- is. This kind of sounds like what old people do. I mean, I am I am old inside. I I believe my real age to be like mid fifties for sure. Well, I have to say that probably cake revenge would be one of my favorite kinds of revenge. Yes, like the small <laughs> slice. I but it why I say old people is because it's reminding me of my father's mother. Who, like, if somebody did something to her, she would be like, oh, that's spite work. They're just being spiteful. (laughs) I mean, she definitely was a paranoid individual. So I think often she would think, like, people are doing things to her as revenge. Mm -hmm. But that's interesting, Ryan. I would never have expected you to be, like, a quiet revenge person. I mean, that's what makes it so effective. Right. It's always the quiet ones. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's the small the small quiet convention. I'm all, I'm also a big fan of uh, like malicious compliance. Yes. So it's like following the exact letter of what I'm supposed oh, to do. I but do like, that at work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like there are rules, and I will follow them, and then I try to make other people do it too. <laughs> I did have a fun fact about uh, Max Creeble to share. Oh, okay. 
so I was I was scrolling through the IMDb and I noticed that the actor who plays uh, he's credited as four year old Max. So I guess there's a flashback sequence at some point in the film. Oh yes, there's a flashback. So his name is is Max uh, Maximilian Kesmodel, and at least on Letterboxd, he only has two credits. So he has Max Creable, and then his other sole other film appearance from Letterboxd is American History X. Oh wow, that's quite the whiplash. Weird. <laughs> so I don't know if he's just like if he was only ever a child because I feel like American History X is even. Yeah, that's even earlier. So he must have yeah. been just like an a, an infant in that movie, which I just think it's really funny that he was like in those two movies and then that's it. That's weird. Because they are definitely very different. <laughs> yeah. But sort of kind of about the poison of revenge. <laughs> in a way, yes. And here's the thing too. I, you know, after watching this movie though, again, I feel like I'm more of a... I, I will scheme revenge, but I never enact it. Mm. But I definitely like to think about it. Watching this movie, one thought that came to mind is that when you are going to take revenge on someone, you really have to hit them where it hurts mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. sure that it's the most impactful. So like, for example, at one point, Max gets back at the evil ice cream man and he does so by removing, there's like a metal coil on the truck to ensure that like the truck stays cold. Well, he takes that off and then it melts all the ice cream. So then obviously like the ice cream dude loses all of his money and his profits because now he has nothing to sell. And I was thinking like, oh, that was the perfect revenge because it really hurt the individual. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And he does a similar thing to the school bully, which I feel is definitely like a gothic Biff type, like Biff from Back to the Future, but goth. (laughs) He, He ends up like going back in this kid's history and finding something traumatic that bothered the kid as a way to really hurt him, which it ends up being this like singing frog called McDougal the Frog. So he like plays this song. Like when the kid opens his locker, the song starts playing (laughs) and the kid just like has a meltdown. And I was thinking, cause similar, you know, we were talking on another episode about like being afraid of things when you're little. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's so mean. Cause like when I was little, I was so afraid of Michael Myers. Because my dad showed that movie to me when I was in like second grade. And it took me a long time before, like even now, like if I watch Halloween by myself alone, I will get scared because there's something about that mask. For a second there, I thought you meant the actor, Michael Myers. Oh, no, no, (laughs) no, no. And I was like, I could see, I could see that being traumatic. scary too, but like, no. (laughs) From Halloween, the <laughs> Shatner face. Yeah. Yeah, he's really creepy. He's probably my favorite slasher villain. Yeah, the original It miniseries um, traumatized me against clowns and baths. And for a while, we lived in a house where you could only take a bath. There was no shower. And so I had an older brother that liked to torture me, you know, 
lay outside the bathroom door while I was in the bath and do Pennywise impressions. So <laughs> I'm right, I'm right there with you. It's not funny. I it's I only recently watched the original it like as in last year. The original miniseries. Yes, we we picked it up on sales somewhere, and it's funny. Like I've always been kind of afraid to watch it because I remember kids in school would yeah. say like it was so scary. Yeah, watching it now, I found it to obviously like be ridiculous. Yes, but I could see how it could have scared children yeah i feel like it's one of the few like things out there where there's actual violence committed against kids like it's not for kids so like there's real like the kids are actually like maimed and killed but they're like young kids you know what i mean like yeah i feel like a lot of stuff is either like scary for kids and all the kids are fine because it's a kids movie you know and then like most horror movies are teenagers or adults yeah and that's that's one thing to circle a little bit back to dr sleep that i think i was so uh fascinated by it um because and spoiler alert sorry it's it was one of the first it was one of the first movies i can remember seeing and i don't know how long where you know you see the kid uh walking home from the baseball game and you're just like oh he's going to be fine like he's a kid in a movie Nothing's going to happen to him. And Dr. Sleep's like, nope, you're going to watch him get tortured and murdered for a good five minutes. And just like, oh, I, and I, I just kind of sat there. I was like, I, don't, I have not seen that in a movie that's come out in the last 10, 15 years, because every sort of horror kids movie, like if you want to call something like Super 8 or just really any movie that, that kind of had kids in it, uh, you, there was there was never really any of that. There hasn't been any of that in horror in a really long time. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I agree, and that the scene you're talking about in particular was really scary. Yeah, actually, it was disturbing. They didn't soft pedal really at all. No, I'm I'm glad you brought up the movie again because I did want to mention. I too agree. Like the performances in it were great. And I'm drawing a blank on the lady's name. I forget the actor's name. Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, Ferguson, right. Yes. Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat was, I thought she was great. Yeah. Like she was my favorite part of the movie. And I don't know that I had seen her in anything else before Dr. Sleep. Um, She's been in the Mission Impossibles. I know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I was trying to figure out where I'd seen her before. But yeah, she's she's amazing. Yeah, she was great. And honestly, just looking at her IMDb, I guess she's going to be in the new Dune. But I think there's oh. like a million people in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's also, she was also in The Kid Who Would Be King that came out last year, which is like a kid's movie, King Arthur. And she plays an ancient evil witch. And she's really good in that role. Oh, okay. I was, I actually was thinking about watching that, but it kind of was one of those that, it went out in the theater and then I missed it. Yeah, I saw it for review and I'm glad I did because it it almost made my top 10 list that year because it's Whoa. it's it's a really well done kids movie. And I feel like most of the kids movies we get now are just animated. So it's nice to get one that's like live action. It has a cool, like fun riff on the King Arthur mythology. It's also very much about like, what does it mean to be British today? You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of uh, stuff about like, 
uh, like not subtle, but not like on the nose stuff about like immigration and diversity and stuff in there too. Oh, cool. Yeah. So just to wrap up about, you know, my movie, like I said, in the end, you know, after Max commits all of this revenge, what I think though, because it's a kid's movie, they are trying to give you a lesson. And, you know, once he finds out, okay, we're not moving, now he has to kind of deal with all of these things that he has done to people, which, again, I think that's probably why I haven't taken revenge on many people, because I'm more the type, like, if someone, I guess, gets on my nerves or, or does something mean, I'm just kind of like, well, I'm done with that person. Right. Like, like mm-hmm. they're dead to me. Whereas I feel, yeah, if you take action, then you kind of have to deal with that aftermath and the emotion of like, oh, I hurt somebody. Right. If you just exit their life or you're like, well, that's the revenge in itself because I'm a goddamn delight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas like I am the type of person where like after I did something bad, then I would probably make myself sick about it. Like I'd right. be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Same. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was kind of sitting here thinking, uh, Ryan, I had a question for you. Because revenge seems to be pretty common throughout all of Tarantino's movies. Do you have uh, an opinion how, you know, the brand of revenge sort of differs between Kill Bill and like Inglorious Bastards? Or have you thought thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what I like about, the, I think the reason I picked Kill Bill is that it's purely personal revenge. Mm. And what I like about Kill Bill and to a a similar degree, um, Django Unchained, is that there's a like, I don't even want to call it like political revenge, but there's like an an ethnic revenge aspect to those as well, where, you know, the revenge against Hans Landa and ultimately Hitler um, in in Glorious Bastards, you know, and the revenge against the plantation owners in Django Unchained is like as much for them as it is for their people. Like they've been personally wronged. Right. Um, but then there's that larger sense of like social justice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, like those characters are literally social justice warriors mm-hmm. uh, in the most like badass version of it. And so I think that's that's an interesting kind of evolution of Tarantino's take on revenge. You know, and Hateful Eight is kind of back to that sort of personal stakes mm-hmm. of it for sure. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like actually not a revenge movie which is kind of an interesting um, well, twist after doing so many in a row i was actually thinking about that just now and to me it sort of is but it's it's it is in a very kind of meta way it's quentin tarantino taking personal revenge against the that the manson family it's it's sort of him saying this was personal to me this whole thing that happened in the death of sharon tate and i'm going to kill you all in very funny cartoonish like the most over the top ways I can think. Yeah, Rosalie and I are, are both not fans of that movie, so I I it's, I don't disagree with your point at all. I I don't know how much that actually uh, to me came across in the filmmaking, but at some point in the future, I'll, I'll revisit that again and see if I feel differently. Yeah, I I definitely have a weird relationship with Tarantino films because, and and partly is from I guess going to film school and especially the time that i went it was what did you meet uh, yeah you met a bunch of clones tarantino yes Uh like every dude i interacted (laughs) with was a tarantino fan and which is fine like 
I understand. And especially back then, he was very popular. Right. Because this was like early 2000s. Yeah, he's also one of those directors, though, that unfortunately attracts just as much toxic masculinity as he as he does trying to break down those barriers. So, yeah. Yeah, and it was always, I feel, interesting, especially my film school experience, because I was one of few women in the class. Mm-hmm. And the things that I liked were all old. Like, I... <laughs> I didn't like anything really new at the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do watch a lot of new cinema mainly because of reviewing things. But I think if I didn't do reviews, I probably would not watch as much newer stuff as I do old. Yeah. I, I And I find, especially having access to something like the Criterion channel now, it's so easy to fall down a hole Oh, yeah. And go, and all of a sudden, cause I had no idea who Samuel Fuller was, the director, oh, um, yes. until they did the sort of a, um, re- uh, you know, a profile of his work on the Criterion channel. And I was like, huh, I'll check this out. And I was like, this, this is one of my favorite directors of all time. And I had no idea he even existed. Agreed. Yeah. They, like, when they first started the Criterion channel, they did a whole section on noir. Mm-hmm. And I had watched before that quite a bit of noir, but wow, like the stuff they curated, I had never heard of. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like my favorite movie now. Yeah. So I think we're in this weird point in time where you, you know, anyone, you know, even our age, but especially younger, I mean, keeping up with what what gets released week to week is an option, but there's been so much made delving into what's been made in the last 50 years could keep you just as busy. Yeah. Which it's funny you brought that up because I feel with what's going on now, we're seeing so many new releases get pushed back and I'm like, yeah. I don't even care. Like yeah, right. <laughs> there's yeah. so much stuff to watch. And yeah. honestly, a lot of the stuff they're pushing back. I wasn't excited about it anyway. Right. A superhero movie. Can't care. Darn. Like, yeah. <laughs> So it's very interesting, and I think it is going to force people to maybe go back and find some older things that they missed, or to your point, falling down a rabbit hole. And speaking of which, I don't know if you've watched the Samuel um, Fuller movie, Pick Up on South Street. No, not yet. Well, it's really cool, and you didn't hear it from me, but it is on YouTube Okay, for free. Awesome. But it is a Criterion movie as well. But I don't think it's on the channel right now. But that movie I watched of his and similar reaction, I was like, I love this director. But then on top of that, it also introduced me to Richard Widmark, who is an awesome actor. And yeah, check the movie out. I will do. Um, I think I started with The Steel Helmet. Okay. um, Which... I, I was blown away by I so that led me to the big red one, which isn't on um the Criterion channel, but and there's actually two versions of it. You can get the director's cut on Blu-ray, and so I went ahead and, and just uh just put down the money for that because I was interested. Sight unseen, I just trusted. I was like, because I Right. just loved his work so much. And I was like, well, this is from 1980. It's a war movie. And I've, that I, you know, for me, I thought I'd seen pretty much every war movie 
from the 80s onward, you know, saw Apocalypse Now, Platoon, uh, Hamburger Hill, all of those. I was like, well, how did this one slip through my radar? And it's it's incredible. The first, like the thing that kind of made me buy it, I'm not ashamed to say, is I saw Robert Carradine. His name was on it. And I, you know, love Revenge of the Nerds. And I was like, okay, purchase. I, I don't need to know anymore. <laughs> like, I, I just want to see Robert Carradine in a horror or in a war movie. And also has, you know, Lee Marvin and Mark Hamill and written and directed by Samuel Fuller. Uh, it's it's great. I really enjoyed it. Speaking of Robert Carradine, that is Max Keeble's dad. So, no way. <laughs> yes. So you may want to do a circle back to Max okay. Keeble's. You sold me, Kicks. I gotta I gotta track down. You might I might have you. <laughs> I might have to borrow your DVD though. I don't know how how common it is anymore. If I'm going to be able to catch it on a streaming service anywhere, but you know yeah, what? I bet you it's on Disney Plus. Well, I don't have Disney Plus, but I bet it's on there. Oh, is it okay? Is it is it was a Disney it, movie? Of then? course, it's a Disney movie. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like a a total Disney flick. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoy it. Yeah, so before we sign off, I just want to remind everyone that we do post a breakdown of the episode on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our awesome quarterly print zine. And I'm really stoked. I, I just started working on our current issue, which is about jetpacks, flying cars, and robots. That's right, the future. So make sure you subscribe to find a copy in your mailbox. And you can follow the show on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking, seeking advice, you can send us questions to dear I saw in a movie at gmail.com. And we also accept postal mail. So if you want to write us a letter, you can reach us at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145, Attention Movie John. And Nick, I know you're on Instagram, but did you want people to follow you anywhere? Uh, sure. So I'm on Twitter at Movie Shuffle. So if you'd like to follow me there, I don't post uh, regularly on Twitter. But anytime, like I, if I ever do all of a sudden discover something like Sam Fuller, I try to let as many people uh, know about it as I can. Oh, cool. And Ryan, what about you? Sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd and Instagram at Silver Whatever. That's with a B. And you can find my writing both in uh, that upcoming issue of Movie John and on Cinema76.com. Yeah. And Ryan, I your piece that you wrote for this latest issue is really great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because like, there's so many different movies that you mentioned that I didn't even know about. So I'm excited for everybody to see it. Yeah, I I, um, I think it turned out, I think it beat my own expectations. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. So as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Bonjour Old Sport. I'm also on Instagram at The Old Sport. And yeah, uh, my writing's on moviejohn.com mostly. And Ryan, you mentioned you had a piece of advice. I do. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't mention Kill Bill without uh, throwing in a uh, Hattori Hanzo quote, uh, which is uh, revenge is never a straight line. It's a forest. And like a forest, it's easy to lose your way to get lost, to forget where you came in. Happy. I also have a piece of advice and mine comes from the school janitor, which I didn't catch his name 
in Max Gable. He was a man of few words, but he did say, any kid can make a mess. It takes a man to clean them up. (laughs) Yes. You know, I do think that it does take a strong person to be able to admit, you know, not only when they're wrong, but then to like face the aftermath. And Max does do that. So even though it's a kid's movie, it does have a pretty heavy takeaway. And I know that Nick is now going to run out and watch this because Robert Carradine is in it. Because Robert Carradine, absolutely. Uh, I did check and it. it is on Disney Plus, by the way. Yeah. See, I don't have Disney Plus, but I'm sure someone would loan you the password. I mean, okay, yeah. That's My afternoon, what we do. the rest of it is immediately planned. I've got to do seance in a wet afternoon. Was that the first one? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to immediately follow that with Max Keeble's big move. That is a wonderful double feature. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. Take care. Google's is me name. I like a swampy bog. It's time to play a game with your favorite Highland frog. One, touch your toes. Two, tweak your nose. Three, pinch your ear. Four, let it cheer. Five, wiggle your hips. Six, smack your lips. Make Google's nose all the tricks.